G'day, g'day guys. Now before we dive into today's show, I want to let you know that some of you may be aware that over the past eight years, I have built a substantial multifamily real estate portfolio here in the US worth over half a billion dollars. And in that time, my passive investors have received fantastic double digit returns. And now you too can invest directly into my deals for as little as $50,000. So if you're an interested investor, head over to reedgoosens.com to find out more. That's reedgoosens.com. Now back into the show. I met Robert Kiyosaki. I'm at Rich Dad Radio. I'm meeting him. I'm talking to them and I'm like hustling. And I became a millionaire before 30. And I'm just like, I am king dingling, man. Like you just don't know. I am super smart. And Robert Kiyosaki is like, be wary, young man. Easy come, easy go. There's a crash a coming. And I was like, what do you know, old man? I'm super young and smart. And just uh, the market would have to go down more than 20% before it touched where I bought it because I was buying it at a discount. Well, he was right. I was wrong. And actually, I was sitting on a street corner in Tucson. I'll tell you this. It was like, this is my, my at the time, my rock bottom. I was crying. Welcome to Investing in the US, a podcast for real estate investors, business owners, and aspiring entrepreneurs looking to break into the US market. Join Reid as he interviews go-getters, risk-takers, and the best in the business about their journey towards financial freedom and the sheer joy of creating something from nothing. G'day, g'day, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another cracking edition of Investing in the US podcast. From Los Angeles, I'm your host, Reid Goosens. Good as always to have you with us on the show. Now, I'm glad that you've all tuned in to learn from my incredible guests, and each and every one of them are the cream of the crop here in the United States when it comes to real estate investing, business investing, and entrepreneurship. Each show, I try and tease out their incredible stories of how they have successfully created their businesses here in the US, how they've created financial freedom massive amounts of cash flow and ultimately create extraordinary lives for themselves and their families. Life by design, as I like to say. Hopefully, these guests will inspire all of my cracking listeners, which are you guys, to get off the couch and go and take massive amounts of action. If these guys can do it, so can you. Now, as you know, I'm all about sharing the knowledge with my loyal listeners, which is you guys, and there's absolutely no BS on this show, just straight into the nuts and bolts. Now, if you do like this show, the easiest way to give back is to give us a review on iTunes, and you can follow me on Facebook and Twitter by searching at Reed Goosens. You can find the show wherever you podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and Google Play, but you can also find these episodes up on my YouTube channel. So head over to reedgoosens.com, click on the video link, and it will take you to the video recordings of these podcasts where you can see my ugly mug, but the beautiful faces of my guests each and every week. All right, enough out of me. Let's get cracking and into today's show. Today on the show, I have the pleasure of speaking with Jake Harris. Now, Jake is the founder and managing partner of an award-winning commercial real estate firm. He has also authored the number one best-selling book called Catching Knives. You definitely need to check that out on Amazon. He has been featured in many publications, including the New York Times, Yahoo Finance, and is a frequent podcast speaker and a highly valued coach. To top it all off, 
To date, he has purchased and sold over 1,200 properties in 23 different states and amassed a commercial real estate property a portfolio, I should say, of really iconic properties in those states. I'm really pumped and excited to have him on the show today to share his incredible knowledge with us. But enough out of me. Let's get him out here. G'day, Jake. Welcome to the show. How are you doing today, mate? Hey, good day, mate. <laughs> Just in the green room, tell the listeners where you were back in the day. Well, so it was interesting because I asked you, uh, where are you from? And you said Queensland. And I was like, oh, I've actually been to Queensland. I've been, it was a, in Townsville. And you're like, I was born in Townsville. And so <laughs> I was like, that is, it's actually, I don't know, what's, what's the size of that city? Well, how big is it? Oh, I don't even know, two, 300,000 people, maybe. I don't know. I, don't, I wouldn't even guess. I couldn't tell you. That's, that, I, I've never, since I was born, they'd never been back. So don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it not not a major city, very, you know, kind of thing, super random that uh, I have been to the place that you were born. Uh, I was in the army, so I was uh, in an, an air assault infantry unit. And so we were doing some jungle training uh, with the Australian army. Uh, There's a, a lot of cool things. Um, <laughs> we did something called Koalify. And so Koalify is what the, the Australian uh they call and so they would have their the the privates hang upside down on a tree and wrap Mm -hmm. their arms around uh, on the tree and so they're upside on the trunk and then they would hang there for as long as possible and whoever hung on for the longest you know won. and so of course you know we're competitive we do those things but yes we did jungle training there's like legit jungles in australia Mm -hmm. i thought it was just like giant desert you know (laughs) uh kind of area and sharks out in the great barrier (laughs) reef uh turns out there's a lot of other things that i don't know or didn't know about australia and the people love drinking and having a good time uh i think there was a a a rugby team there that that the townsville uh cowboys yeah so they were just finishing up they had a game they're out so we're out drinking and what's interesting at least i found at the time they were uh hard liquor is on tap it's not beers, everything, all the beers, like all the hard liquors on tap. And they're just like, and the tipping's not customary. And so yep. we're out there tipping and throwing out money. And so a bunch of Joes <laughs> running around throwing money is they were uh, we're very accommodating to us. And it was awesome. I don't know that everybody made it back to where we were sleeping in the hotels that night. Um, and, the, and the women in Australia were are quite beautiful as well. Yeah, yeah. Well, for those people who don't know where Townsville is, it is, uh, call it northern New South, uh, sorry, far north Queensland. And um, it's a pretty remote little town, and uh, but obviously big, big army base up there and be the equivalent of your army bases here that you'd see in the US. So, um, so awesome stuff, man. But so, so before we get into that, let's rewind the clock even further. What, what, what did you do making money as a kid as you grew up? Yeah, so it's uh, it's interesting that you asked that because I, I did not too dissimilar to what I do today is I would buy things at a discount and then sell them at at a, a kind of you know retail price. And so back in the day, it was M and M's. So there was a, a discount grocery store, grocery outlet, and so they would sell boxes of them, and I think they probably were expired um, or whatever it was, but I could buy them uh, in, in a box, and I could buy them for twenty five cents, and then I would sell them for a dollar at school, and so I always and so what I did was I got peanut 
butter mm-hmm. M&Ms, mm-hmm. not the peanut, not the plain. And so even some of the other uh, kids at school were selling them to raise money for the, the cheerleader and the sport teams or whatever. And so I was, I was the only one that sold peanut butter M&Ms. And so, and I don't know, maybe they were new or, you know, whatever it was, but at least I had those and it was a dollar and I was going to the charity of Jake, you know, like there was no, I wasn't funding any sports teams. I was just funding my, uh, you know, consumption of M&Ms or or other things that I felt uh, fitting. And I remember is, so I wanted to buy a 13 inch color TV with a remote and it had a VCR in it. And so it was a combo thing and it was a hundred dollars at Montgomery Wards was the company was the, you know, they're out of business now, but they're one of the, the retailers kind of discount retailers. And so I had this and I would save up money and actually I would iron the money. I would take the dollar bills and I would <laughs> iron them out and I put them in a box and I had like this little box in my closet. And so then all the ones were then ironed out. Occasionally I'd get a five and I'd have some of these others. And so then I had this stack of this perfect perfectly crisp dollar bills in this box. And then I was like, I got a hundred bucks. I was like, I told my mom, we went to the store and I spent and bought my money with my TV and the, you know, the thing, and that ended up being what I played, you know, my Nintendo on and other things. And uh, that kind of really created the, the, the precedent of what I've done throughout my entire life um, of buying things and finding something that was on a discount that I could sell for a higher price. It's so important that the reason I ask all that question to all my guests over the years is to really get that sense of how you, your relationship with, with money. And I sort of, sounds like I was in a very similar household growing up, you know, earning that keep, putting it away in a shoebox, and then, then going out and, and you know, buying the, the prize. And it just teaches you so much value in, in and around how kids use money. And I think it's still valuable to this day. Um, but, but walk us through the, the timeline. We obviously spoke a little bit about your time in the army but what got you into the real estate space and, and what was that 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 moment that you said I'm I've had enough of the army I want to get into real estate yeah it was a um very common story at least I've found out is <laughs> I was getting ready to get out of the army and somebody threw me a book and they're like hey Sarge you should read this book and so I it was a purple and gold book mm-hmm and be like, just by naming a purple and gold book, a lot of people are already going to know. It's Rich Dad, Poor Dad. So Robert no, Kiyosaki wrote Don't Rich get out of here. <laughs> yeah. And it was like, no, like Rich Dad, Poor Dad. It was just like, yes, this is it. And so it was that Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And, and it's not like it's very technical in the details no. of it, but it is like it creates that light bulb moment where you're just like, aha. And so I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And I was actually, you know, also I had some business stuff that I was doing and I had a a kind of a retail business and it was like, I wanted to be a businessman, but it was not really driving with what I wanted to do. And it was like that rich dad, poor dad, that real estate that I was like, no, this is what I really want to do. And then the reality is like, I see the through line is we fixed up an old house. And so when I grew up as a kid, we lived in a 16-foot camp trailer, a family of five. We bought this wow. old farmhouse that was built in 1888. And like it didn't even have a foundation. It, it had just sat on rocks. 
And so we, you know, took it down to the studs. We jacked it up. We poured a foundation. I'm a little kid, so I'm not really doing much of these things, but I have photos of me like carrying sheets of plywood with my brother when I was a little kid. So I kind of grew up on a construction site and I grew up in that. And so the fact that I then, you know, got into real estate is now, you know, 20 some odd years later for maybe it was 15 years later from being a kid to connecting that it was like, ah, this makes a lot of sense. And then what happens is, is, you know, I didn't really get going and started in that right away, but I went out of the army. I started bartending at a country club. I started bartending at a country club because I wanted to be a bartender and I thought that was kind of cool, but I didn't want to go spend all my time in, in the nightclubs and being out all night long and be kind of a zombie. So I was like, Ooh, I can't afford to be in the country club, but at least I'll get to serve them and hang around rich people and, you know, you know, smart guys or, you know, things. And so I would just uh, pick their brain, ask them questions, serve them, be alongside of them, see what they talked about. How could I create and add some value to them? And then I would ask them questions. And so the, what they said is um, get into construction. A guy gave me advice. He was a developer and he said, get into construction. Cause he's like, everybody can learn it through the books, but the guys that come from the trades know what things cost. And, and, and let's be honest, a contractor and an investor or a developer are really competing off the last remaining dollars. Once you get past the materials and the cost to affix them, what's left over is then divvied up between the contractor and the in, in investor or developer as a whole. And contractors want to make as much money as possible. And they want to take as much time as possible. And you know what? They they sometimes, you can go over budget, is then the investor is left with no money or they lose money. Contractor got paid. And so they said, understanding that critical piece of the dynamic is going to be very, very beneficial for the long-term success of you doing this into the future. So that's why he's like, my advice is go learn the trades. And so that's what I did. I got into doing commercial construction. I started working out as an estimator. I talked myself into a job that I was definitely not qualified for. I had no idea what I was doing. And, you know, they're like, and, and really I did it I was, because I'm super persistent. As I can see, I kept bugging the shit out of the uh, the uh, CEO of the the commercial construction company every time he played golf, and I'd be like, "Hey, let me go play golf with you." Like, "Hey, let's go hang out." And I was like, "Hey, I see you have this job opening. Like, hey, I applied and nobody responded. Like, hey, what do I need to do?" And uh, after some time, I was like, "Hey, I have three days a week. I can just come in here and work for free for you. I'll come do your job. I'll do that job." Because I was like, I just have a, a, a supreme confidence in myself that I can figure things out. Um, I just believe that I can learn anything. If someone else has been able to, to do it, I'm pretty good monkey see, monkey do. And so then it's like, okay, I'll just come do it for free. And he was like, pretty persistent. I was like, yeah, that's actually one of my superpowers. And uh, so then I went in and he's like, I'll actually pay you. Come in on Monday. I'll hire you. And, you know, so I, I came in and it was for a, a job as an estimator and I had no idea what to do. And I was like, I don't know what takeoffs are. And this is before Google. Like, I don't know what takeoffs are because they're like, oh, here you go. Do some takeoffs for this building and do the thing. And I'm like, <laughs> what's the takeoff? 
yeah, well, what, uh, what? And I was like, and I was like, do you have any previous examples? Of this? Uh, maybe I can uh, see the format in which you put it on. And uh, wow. So ultimately, you know, takeoffs, if, if you people that don't know, but it's basically just calculating like the square footage of the carpet and the walls and the baseboards. And, you know, you're, you're creating a, a list of what you're going to need for this remodel or the new construction or whatever it is. And so I was like, Ooh, math, I'm actually good at math. I know how to do this geometry, you know, measuring like, oh, I'm good at this. I know how to do that. So I took it to it like a fish to water and quickly, and I was landing millions of dollars worth of projects then I moved over to a superintendent and a project manager. And then I moved down to Phoenix where I bought a house and started flipping houses. And then that happened to be early 2000s that I was buying. And I was like a mad genius. Like, look at this. I'm making so much money. I bought this house. I sold it for $75,000. I painted the kitchen. Like, look how genius I am. I'm smart. I met Robert Kiyosaki. I'm at Rich Dad Radio. I'm meeting him. I'm talking to them. And I'm like hustling and I became a millionaire before 30. And I'm just like, I am king dingling, man. Like, you just don't know. I am super smart. And Robert Kiyosaki is like, be wary, young man. Easy come, easy go. There's a crash a coming. And I was like, what do you know, old man? I'm super young and smart. And just uh, the market would have to go down more than 20% before it touched where I bought it because I was buying it at a discount. Well, he was right. I was wrong. And actually, I was sitting on a street corner in Tucson. I'll tell you this. It was like, this is my, my at the time, my rock bottom. I was crying. I was broken in every single aspect of my life. And my brothers who had lived with me and helped me you know, do this flipping house to become a millionaire. They left, they moved back to California from Arizona. And they're like, Hey, Jake, you're an asshole. You're just focused on money. Like that's all you want to do is make money, make money, make money, do the thing. And yeah, we're out, you know, you're a dick. And so they went back home. The girl I thought I was going to marry had broke up with me. Like, man, this is not working. You know, thing, my health, I was 265 pounds, you know, I was 75 pounds overweight, you know, or, you know, maybe uh, uh, 80 pounds overweight. So like health wise, stress levels. And not only that, the subprime meltdown was happening. And so I was coming out of pocket to every deal and trying to buy out of it and sell off my portfolio and liquidate and liquidate and liquidate. And then I ran out of money. And so now not only that, I had good credit up to that point, but now I have a negative bank account. So they were honor payments out to some of these banks. And so I have a negative bank account. So I can't even use my bank anymore. Like I can't use credit cards. I can't use anything because I have a negative bank account. So I have to work on cash and cash only. I owe hundreds of thousands of dollars more on these properties than I have. So I have no money, negative money and a negative net worth. The girl I thought I was going to marry, broke up with me. My family's all gone. I'm sitting on there. And here's where it even gets worse. I'm doing work on this Adobe house and I'm cleaning it. Mud walls for people that don't know Adobe are mud wall houses, you know, specifically in the Southwest United States. And I'm doing construction, just trying to get by, trying to do anything to make a buck, just trying to figure out how am I going to get back, you know, to, to this week, to next week, to figure things out. The girl that I was you know, I thought I was going to marry, you know, my first real heartbreak of my life at, you know, 28, 
you know, 29 years old, broke my heart. She felt bad for me. So she recommended to her new boyfriend that I could be the contractor to fix up the house. And so he's the investor and he doesn't know our previous relationship. And so as I'm working on it, he and her walk through the house and this is still pretty fresh and I'm sitting there and I'm fixing up this house and I get to see it and feel this heartbreak and feel this emotion and feel like everything is completely falling all apart. And they leave and they go thing and I have nobody to even call. I have nobody to sit there. And then I'm sitting out on that street corner and I just cry. (laughs) And I was like, God, can I be worth no money? Can I start over at zero? Just zero would be awesome. You know, just have and clean the slate and be at zero. And that would be really awesome if I could be at zero. So that was my, from being a millionaire before 30 to I want to be worth no money. That is really what started my next phase in my journey of writing that book of Catching Knives. The best time to invest is when there's blood in the streets, even yep. if the blood's your own. Mm-hmm. That's a love the blood it. was my own. I was literally sitting in the street crying about and losing houses, going through foreclosure. And then I came back and I was like, I started investing again. And I That's remade awesome. my entire life. I started building that foundation, that rock bottom. And I, you know, was, didn't figure it out there. I still had months and months and, and then creating systems around what I do to start investing into distressed commercial real estate and invest into, you know, distressed real estate in general, and then evolve that and grow that. And that's obviously subsequently, you know, 15, 20 years later, you read my bio, we're doing lots of different projects and it, it's, it's really fun and exciting on what I do every single day. But it started with, getting over the tip of my skis, making a lot of mistakes, falling down and then hitting that rock bottom until I, you know, retooled and and picked myself up. For those of you who are interested in staying up to date with all the latest happenings in my business or to learn more about passively investing directly into my multifamily value-add deals, then head over to readgoosens.com and sign up for my monthly newsletter. By signing up, you will automatically be notified about my new up-and-coming investment opportunities. You'll be able to stay up to date with all the latest real estate news here in the United States and much, much more. So head over to readgoosens.com and sign up today. Now, back into the show. That's an incredible story, my friend. That's Thank you for sharing that with me. I uh, I do want to just, for those listeners out there, one thing that you mentioned that was super inspiring because I did exactly the same thing, except I came through, and I've said this to a number of people, you know, no offense to lawyers and finance guys, love them, but they, if you come through the tools, you you will be a better developer or real estate investor. You just know what things cost. Uh, I'm a structural engineer. I uh, In 2014, when I moved to the US or just after I moved to LA, I pivoted out of engineering because I still had to stay in this country because I didn't have a green card yet because I didn't marry my girlfriend yet. And I went and worked for a developer. I happened to be the structural engineer doing the design for a multifamily project in Long Beach. And I just said, I'm, I'm over, I'm over this. They wanted to get me to get my PE license. And I said, hell no, I'm not going back to freaking do these exams. God, no, I'm, I, you know, I'm, all, I'm, all, I'm on site and I'm talking to the freaking developer and I'm like, what are you going to rent this place for? <laughs> you know, he's like, what, what, what about the bolts in the, in the columns? I'm like, yeah, no, just put four of them up there. Um, don't, don't worry about it. You know, so it was it's very similar that you were, you found something that could be valuable 
in learning to to continue your pursuit of where you needed to go. And it's so many people do. I don't want to skim over that because it is a very vital point when people getting into this business, they think, what, what skill set can I do? And you, you, you said you were good with math. Well, then you went out and found something that you could learn and continue acquiring skills from and get paid to continue moving that, that, that ball down the fairway. So I just want to mention that because I've, I've done exactly the same thing and it was been very powerful in my career. Obviously, you then went off and uh, and became too big for your boots, but uh, but that's we'll get into that. So, with all of that being said, what are you doing today? With you've written the book Catching Knives, you're actively doing real estate, and I also love and I'm sort of jumping ahead here, but I want to get to the point of what you think is coming. Um, you know, given your experience with, with Richard Portad back in the day and Rob Kiyosaki, what do you think is coming down the right road? But 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 let's just let's just summarize where you are today in the business. What does it look like? What are you doing? Yeah, so. Um- Today, you know, so and to kind of give you, like you said, uh, 1,200 flips in 23 states, you know, we have uh, some commercial um, real estate portfolio, building a a hotel on the Riverwalk in San Antonio, converting some historic uh, office buildings to multifamily, doing some land assemblage. Uh, have probably a couple thousand uh, units worth of of multifamily land in downtown San Antonio. Really been focusing in on Central Texas over the last seven years. Um, part of that is so I use a lot of data analytics to determine markets to where job growth, population growth, affordability index, and kind of a catch-all of demographics is so run these analysis on these markets. And so because the market is actually the one of the biggest kind of drivers of what's happening and and so think about this is is like the tide or the current of the river or something like that and so i found that you know you don't have to be michael phelps or you know ian uh, thorpe oh. you know the torpedo you don't have to go. be the uh uh that world class olympic swimmer to actually just go with the tide. And so what happens is the market is making up the vast majority of what is, you know, trending or swinging in the right direction. So you can just paddle, 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 little Grom on your, your board and let the market take you in that momentum. So when we look, we're establishing market first, and then we're trying to look for good deals in those markets. And then, so that's why we do uh, a variation of different asset types is because we believe the overarching market is going to have a, a rising tide that's going to raise all the boats. And so then we just need to find good deals in those particular markets. And so we don't necessarily even niche down to say, hey, it's only multifamily. It's been super competitive on multifamily. Interest rates have been going up. Um, we're in a recession. You know, I don't know when this episode is going to air, but I was like, we are, you know, we're in a technical recession. I don't care how the government tries to redefine it. We're in a recession. And so I wrote Catching Knives in 2020. I was like, this is it. We're it's it's all crashing down. There's going to be blood in the streets. And then all real estate values tripled. I didn't know that the government was going to go print $20 trillion um, and and raise the asset values on everything. But at some point, some of these things are going to come to roost. And so meaning that some of these assets are starting to transact. The um, froth of the market has gone away. Things are being discounted out. And I think we're into a, a period over the next maybe six months, a year, you know, where things are going to kind of come come to full fruition. And I think there's going to be some discounts in, in um, 
you know, the market, the whole premise of catching knives. And, and I have to explain the title. Oftentimes there's a financial term that says, do not catch falling knives. And so as a contrarian, and especially in commercial real estate is like, is like you have to be prepared to catch that knife before it happens. And so what happened because commercial assets, uh, an office building downtown or on the, you know, the hotel on the river walk, or, you know, wherever your particular market is, maybe only trades hands once a generation. Mm. And so what happens is that works really well when you're buying Tesla stock, you can just wait until the market falls and collapse all the way to the bottom. And then you pick it up and you can buy whenever you want. But when commercial real estate, it has scarcity to it. All you need is one other buyer to go buy it from you and it's no longer available to you. Mm -hmm. So it's not a commodity. And so then really when you're looking at it, something specific to that, you have to prepare ahead of time and then you have to have a business plan and then you have to have an exit strategy. It doesn't matter if the value goes from $10 million down to $7 million. But if your plan is to exit and to add value to it and then sell it for 20, or you're going to do some forced appreciation, or you're going to change the use, or you're going to do some other things that are going to drive some, some value to it, you're not looking at it. What is its today value? You're looking at it. What's the future value? And then you're going to execute your plan. And part of what the book talks about too is developing your systems, developing your team, developing the things that you need to put in place before that distress ever even happens. And I go, and that's not too dissimilar to everything in business. It's not only about distress. You can do this in a, um, a rising market. And so what the reality is, is just you have to be um, more dialed in in a distressed environment so that you know what you're getting yourself into. But obviously where people get little alligator arms is when the markets pull back, they get scared. And then that's where you can make your true wealth. And so that's why I was like, that's where the wealthy make their money is when the market is doing. Warren Buffett says it's like most people sell when they should be buying and they buy when they should be selling. And like they do the opposite of what is smart as investors. And so that's why I kind of take a contrarian approach to everything that I'm looking at is like, you need to be preparing for these downturns and getting your team and getting your house in order so that you can execute your business plan when the time is right. I completely agree with you, but I also would say you can't always plan for, because you'll sit on the sideline for too long. Like so many people thought 2013, although people are buying in 2012 and they're going to have this, this, this short-term rate and it's going to go 2015, 16, it's going to be a crash. That's where it's going to be. And then it's going to be, well, that's going, to, that's going to be 17, 18. Now it's going to be 20. Like you can't all, you, you have to be active in every market, I think is also probably what I want to, you know, come back at you at because you, you know, as an investor, you, you can make money in every cycle. You just got to know how to make money and what's your basis and what things cost and all that sort of stuff. So you mentioned earlier, the froth has come off the market. We did go up a lot, like massive values. You know, I, I, own, I own in San Antonio. <laughs> I bought things at 60, 70 K a door. I'm now, you know, trading at 140, 150 a door. I wouldn't buy it at 150 a door, but you know, do you think we're coming back down to 80K a door or do you think you're still staying up at that sort of, you know, the new 80K doors, 120 or 130? Yeah, so um, I agree 100%. Um, I, I love Howard Marks, uh, you know, Mastering Market Cycles is, is a book, is I'm a professional investor. I'm not waiting for only the market 
to be correct to what happens is like, think about this as being like a blackjack player, a professional kind of, uh, you know, um, you know, player is like, you know, when the deck's a little bit stacked in your favor, you know, obviously if you're playing like a, a single deck, you know, blackjack, you can count cards or maybe a couple decks, you can count cards. You know, when the, the deck stacks in your favor, you have the opportunity, you're going to split tens. You're going to be like, man, we're putting all the chips on the table right now because that's where the distress environment is. But that doesn't mean you're just sitting off and not playing the game. And so like exactly to your point is you can continue to make money in every market up and down and left and right. And so, but being an understanding how to counter punch to what the market is giving you. And so people do have to take action. You have to be in the market all the time, but then there's also times to when you're maybe more conservative on your investments versus when you're like, I'm leveraging the house. I'm, you know, leveraging my 401k. Um, back up the truck. <laughs> yeah. Back it up. Cause we're, this is the time. And I was like, so, I don't see a whole lot of distress in real estate. I don't see a whole lot of distress coming down the market in real estate as a whole. I think multifamily is going to continue to grow. And I don't think it's 120 a door is going to go to 80 a door. I think it's going to go to 130 or 135 or 140. Your cost of capital is definitely going to you know, stay up there for a little bit longer. But when I look at this over the next six, 12 months, there's going to be some buying opportunities as the people that shouldn't have bought stuff got in trouble or maybe got into some bridge debt or they got into some things that they thought they could, you know, refinance out at a 80% LTV and they're only getting 65. And then they're like, oh man, I'm in trouble because I can't get out of this. And interest rates are now seven or 8%. And I was banking on it being 4%. So those we're going to see who has their swim trunks on as the tide goes mm -hmm. out, you know, mm -hmm. who kind of got themselves in trouble. And so there's going to be some buying opportunities, but I actually think in 2008 and 2011 and in, in 2012, really, we went to a different monetary theory, the MMT, the modern monetary theory, and really that debts don't matter, that they can print unlimited amounts of money and it doesn't really affect anything. And so most of the economists that are in the government now are on that basis of MMT. And so that's why they printed in 2008, uh, you know, uh, that that's why they printed here in COVID. And so what that does is it creates actually a, a low interest rate environment for elongated time periods. And you can see where they did this in Japan. You can see this where they did it in the, the yen. And so I believe some of the inflationary pressures have been because of supply chain issues and the East versus the West challenges that are now starting to pop them their head up. And I think that's going to continue as the East versus West and supply chain. I think a lot of uh, manufacturing is going to be repatriated. I think there's going to be a lot of things that are coming to North America and North and South America are going to become a lot friendlier to as trade partners, as geopolitical things start balancing out. So when that happens, and what I say is, I think interest rates are going to come back down. And in 18 months from now, they're going to be lower and that's going to continue to drive values up. And so if you can buy cash flowing assets and hold forever, do that. You know, it'll make it make it's it's time. Inflation drives it up and down and, and, you know, really almost always up. And so if you can buy something that is cash flowing 
do that and hold forever. And that's the big uh, thing is the, the next evolution as I've gone to, as I flipped a bunch of houses, I made money for Blackstone and invitation homes and the family office I worked for and all these things. But at the end of the day, I didn't own a lot of real estate. Mm. You know, we made money, but I was like, man, we paid a lot of taxes. We did a lot of these things like this sucks. So now it's not, it's about holding those assets. Now holding those assets and creating passive wealth. And we actually talk about this, like you need to stop trading time for money. Most people get really good at moving up the hedonic treadmill of life, of, of Maslow's hierarchy of needs of like, hey, I'm paying the light bills. Now I'm doing a little bit of other things. Now I have this making 200, $300,000. I'm making a million dollars a year. And so a lot of people that reach out to me is like, they're a doctor making a million bucks a year. But then they want to go now be a real estate investor. Oh, that's it. I'm going to quit my job. I'm going to go be a real estate investor. And I was like, that's just trading one job for another job. And actually, you, you want to make a million dollars? Okay, do you have $10 million liquid to invest into real estate? Because let's say 10% is the average kind of return that you can make off of you know, capital. Do you have $10 million? And they go, no. I'd be like, okay, so you're going to take a million dollar income job and you're going to go be a real estate investor. And you're going to go make $100,000 or $200,000 a year. If you can live off of a hundred or two hundred thousand dollars a year budget, just live off of that hundred or two hundred thousand dollar a year budget and go invest eight hundred thousand dollars a year into real estate as a passive investor. Until you start building your passive wealth machine, until you start building that investment that is trading, not trading time for money, but your money is getting a compounding interest upon itself, is that's really how you unlock the next levels of what you need to do. And then your investments, your portfolio is generating enough cash flow that it supports your lifestyle. And those are the things where I was like, people need to stop trading time for money because then it's going to unlock your ability to live a life of freedom and purpose and legacy. With that being said, have you reached that point in your, in your life? Because the people I interview in this show are all type A, high achievers, really going after it. And they you preach that, but how are you practicing that in your life today? So, yes. And so- And then I, 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 I want to say that you have already explained to us that your some of your other pillars in life, and I'll just add this to, to, to the context, business pillar is always something that I see so many people focusing on. I was guilty of it that I only focused on that. You've got to have health and you've got to have, I call love or spirituality or religion, whatever you want to call it. But there's something else there that, that props you up because if you just have the business and it goes away, like you did on the street, where are you going? It's down. So how are you spreading that out so you don't replicate the same issues you had 25 years ago? 100%. And, and, you know, to the, the punchline to that story is that money was the least important of all of those, mm -hmm. you know, money's fake. I think the government just proved that to everybody that money's <laughs> fake money does, you know, forget me. It's, you know, it's going to be a million dollars to buy a Big Mac. Pretty it's a soon, tool. You know? It's a tool. Yeah, exactly. It's a storage of energy. And so exactly to that point is I don't have to work. If I, I can sit back and not work, but I was like, I also found out that I'm the worst version of myself if I'm not pushing and achieving towards something. I have to be growing. I have to face challenges and I have to create those environments. And so I work because I enjoy it. And I work because I'm challenging myself to do in the next level. And so every single year I'm looking for, I'm trying to better myself to next year, to next year, to next year. I'm compounding my growth, my mindset. And so, but I do. 
I carve out time. I'm now married. I have three kids. We go on an international trip every year. Um, my daughter, uh, you know, I don't know when this this airs, but she just turned one years old. We have a that's big awesome. party that's happening. That's awesome. We do family board meetings. So each one of my kids get a quarterly meeting. It's their day. They get to pick out that particular day. And so here's one of the most interesting statistics that scared the crap out of me. 95% of your in-person time with your kids is from the ages of zero to 18. The remaining 5% of time is spread out over the remainder of your life. And at first I was like, no, that's not, it's not true. And then I thought about it with my own parents. And how much time do I spend with my parents in a given year? And so, you know, they got, they got divorced when I was 15. I went to the army when I was 17. Now I think about this holidays, maybe some vacation, maybe, you know, a a birthday, things like that. Three hours here, four hours there, half a day there. I was like, what is that? 30 hours a week or 30 hours a year. And it's how much time that they have left. They're getting older. Mm. My grandparents have all passed away. I don't have grandparents. So then I was thinking about that. And I was just like, I don't accept that for my life. I am not accepting my life to be a statistic or to be average like anyone else. So I'm going to start architecting and creating my life on purpose. I'm going to create my activities. I work out every single day, almost every single day for three years now. Coming up in another month, it'll be three years. So I work out. I do blood tracking. Every quarter I have blood drawn on me. I go through and I have some So David Sinclair wrote a book, Lifespan. So like I'm starting to put regimen. I was like, I'm going to live another hundred years with an option to renew. And so I'm going to do that. And I'm going to start living my life like I'm going to live another hundred years. I'm going to start architecting my health around that, where I work out, what I eat, what I consume, how many hours I sleep. I'm going to do that with my relationship with my wife. And I spend those times with her and create an impact to her. And then I'm also going to start developing my purpose. And because the reality is, is that all of us are trying to unlock and discover what our own purpose is. And so We don't actually need money to live our life of purpose. And then when you live your purpose in the service of others is when you unlock true happiness. So I'm going to say that again. It was like the reason that God put you on this earth, or if you think of the universe or spiritual thing, was because you have some unique talent that you are special at that nobody else has. And then when you start using that unique purpose and talent in the service of others, you have unlimited happiness and it has nothing to do with money. Wow. It has nothing to do with that. We get on this hedonic treadmill of life that think that we got to make more money, make more money, make more money. And then at some time in the future, and that's why so many people that have achieved levels of success in their life that has been pursuing and chasing money, that then they're unhappy and unfulfilled. And then it's like, oh, now I discover that, oh, I'm supposed to be using my purpose. The, the things that oftentimes that make you successful are part of the reason that line up to what is your purpose. And then when you start discovering that you can use that to serve other people and, and remove the financial equation, and then it's also your self-acquisition. Like you never, never need the money in the first place. Mother Teresa didn't need the money. The monks didn't need the money. You didn't need the New York Times bestseller list. You could have done that way before, before the thing. 
All those limitations that you had were self-limitations. They're all things that you put on yourself. You could do that. You could have done that years ago. You just didn't give yourself permission to. And so that's where it is, is unlocking your permission to really live into your purpose and the service of other people is when you truly unlock that happiness. And that's why I was like, I am generally pretty damn hot, happy. I've actually been accused of being, you know, um, I think it was, is it uh, annoyingly optimistic, <laughs> you know? And I was like, well, that's because, and there's a book. Napoleon Hill wrote, it was called uh, Outwitting the Devil. And it didn't come out until recently. And so if you run Think and Grow Rich. And so part of the thing is the reality is like everything is both positive and negative. Everything is in balance. There's positive electrons, there's negative electrons. There's a balancing out of a battery. The universe, the God and devil, there's a balance, the, the polarity, the things. And so everything is both positive and negative. But as humans, we have the unique ability that we can curate the story and the lens in which we see it to, as. So if we say it's positive, we can say it's positive. We can say and then look at one of that negative thing that me sitting on a street corner crying was actually the best thing that ever happened to me. That was a positive. Other people can say how, how terrible that was and what a negative. And, and so the reality is, is everything is happening for me, not to me. Mm -hmm. And so then when people start looking at that and they have the ability in your own head to recraft your own message and your own story. And then that's why I'm annoyingly optimistic was because I was like, dude, this, uh, this is my own journey. I'm the only one living up in my head. You're the only one that's living up in your head. You have the ability to author your own life. Love it. Love it. Mate, I could talk to you for hours and I haven't even really spoken because I've just been listening and absorbing all the awesome stuff that's coming out of your mouth. But at the end of every show, we love to dive into the top five investing tips. You ready to get into it? Absolutely. Mate, what's the number one habit you practice to keep on track towards your goals? Working out. And as far as because the working out makes everything else easier because I eat better, I track better, it gets me sleep and everything. So working out my morning routine. Love it. Question number two is who's the most influential person in your career to date? I'm going to say Ray Dalio. As far as I don't know him personally, but I've consumed a lot of his content and he allowed me to think bigger and especially uh, about thinking about not just my lifetime, but then the history of investing's lifetime. Yep. Love it. Question number three is in your business, what's the most influential tool that you use on a daily basis that you can't run the business without? It could be, it could be a physical tool like a phone or a journal, or it could be you know a piece of software that you just can't run the business, the business without. What is it? I'd say the people. Mm. I mean, like it, it's not a tool. I mean, it, it doesn't well, it really matter. Yeah. It, but it was like, but it's them. They're the ones that are, they're helping to do this to leverage and all these other things. We could swap out our computers or software videos. It's the people. Love it. Question number four in one sentence is what's been the biggest failure in your life and what did you learn from that failure? I was like, and maybe you haven't noticed, I have a hard time saying one sentence of anything. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, so now I'm trying to think of like, how do I condense it? I would say just stop trading time for money. Yep. 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 Last question, mate. Where can people reach you to continue the conversation? They'll be in your sphere. Where do they go? So uh, catchknives.com is where you can find the book, some other content that we're putting out there uh, at Jake dot real estate at Instagram's where I'm most active. And then you can just type Jake Harris at real estate. I pop up on YouTube and LinkedIn and all the other, you know, places, um, you know, 
I'm, I'm not the I'm not the Jake Harris that's on the deadliest catch that's out catching crab fish in Alaska. That's not me. Jake Harris Real Estate. You can usually find me on most search engine platforms. Awesome stuff, mate. Well, I want to thank you so much for jumping on the show today. I just want to repeat some of the things I took away from today's show. I think obviously your story about going to Australia and uh, hanging upside down like a koala in a tree was pretty freaking awesome. But then being vulnerable with us and taking us through the journey of the early stages and how you grew really quickly uh, and hit rock bottom, but realize you hit rock bottom and that that all that helped you reset your life into what you built today. And then building, uh, I like what you said, the best time is the time is, is the best time to be investing is when there's blood in the street, including your own blood. I really, I love when you said that. And then also talking more about thinking from a bigger picture, understanding that you're, you've been put on this earth for, for a purpose. You've got a purpose and you, it is, it's a sort of a, a, a tragedy if you don't go out and, and, and pursue that in a way that, that is really, really important. Um, I just love your energy that you bring to the show, mate, but did I leave anything out? I don't think so. I think, I think it sounds awesome. I, I kind of black out on these things, so I don't <laughs> even know what I say half the time. So I was like, yeah, that sounds like something uh, I would that say. I said. So, yeah, yeah, no. yeah, I've cool. got a whole page of notes here. So if anyone's uh, watching this on YouTube, you can see I've been madly scribbling down some notes, but it's been freaking awesome. Enjoy the rest of your week, my friend, and we'll catch up very, very soon. Cheers, mate. Well, there you have another cracking episode jam packed with incredible advice from Jake. Please head over to catchingknives.com uh, to, 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 to find it out. It's Jake Harris Real Estate. Google that um, across the globe. He was, easily pops up. He's not the catching crabs in Alaska. If you do like this show, the easiest way to give back is to give it a five-star review on iTunes. All the show notes from today's show will be up on my website at reedgoosens.com. And we're going to do it all again next week. So remember, be bold, be brave, and go give life a crack.